Please note, in this episode we will be discussing issues of racism and language which may be upsetting to some listeners. Adelaide was a very popular performer and well-respected for her war efforts. In 1941, she was Britain's highest paid earner. One absolute coup for Morgan to have such an icon perform for them. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. 2023 marks 100 years of our museums and collections, and we're celebrating by examining 100 intriguing objects that help tell the story of Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area. Today's object can show the power of music, and how for one glamorous night in the 1940s, Morecambe sounded like Harlem. Today's object is a programme for shows at the Winter Gardens, featuring Adelaide Hall. The programme we're looking at today takes the form of a simple leaflet or poster. It's roughly A4 in size and is very simple in design. There are no images, just text and a couple of basic star shapes, all printed in dark green ink on basic white paper. Thousands of similar programmes would have been made over the years, and they were only intended to last for a short time, to advertise the acts and shows at Morecambe venues for the coming week. This one, however, has survived from Easter 1942 and lets us know what the people of Morecambe could have seen at the Winter Gardens. The top section reads, Next week, follow the stars at the Winter Gardens. Adelaide Hall, the crooning blackbird, Archie's juvenile band, youngest in Great Britain, George and Jack Dormand, crazy cycling comedians, and all-star variety programme. Don't miss this gigantic Easter attraction. The rest of the programme gives details of other upcoming shows, including the Halley Orchestra and All-Star Wrestling. We're going to be looking at the life behind one of the names on this programme. The simple design and limited details give little clue that in 1942, Adelaide Hall was one of the most famous and highest paid entertainers in the world. A dancer and jazz singer who had already been performing for over 20 years, and would go on to even greater heights in the coming years, as well as appearing several more times in Morecambe. To find out more about the amazing Adelaide Hall, we spoke to Kirsty Roberts, a PhD candidate at the University of Central Lancashire. How exciting to be able to discuss the incredible Adelaide Hall. Finding the programme in the stores and being able to put it on display for visitors to the museum to see and learn about her is really important. She worked alongside so many greats like Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong and played such a vital role in the war effort entertaining troops and civilians alike. Hers is a very powerful story and her presence in Morecambe is something to be celebrated and shared widely. Adelaide Louise Hall was born 20th of October 1901 in Brooklyn and died the 7th of November 1993. Her father was a music teacher at the Pratt Institute and one would assume a huge influence on her life. He told her to sing to the moon and the stars will shine. Taking his advice, Adelaide and her sister Evelyn formed a group called the Hall Sisters. They played small local venues and Adelaide honed her craft with her sister beside her and her dad's unwavering support. Tragically, Adelaide's father, Arthur William, died in 1917. Engulfed with grief, Adelaide and her mother went through further trauma at the death of her beloved sister Evelyn in 1920, leaving Adelaide and her mother alone. This must have been extremely hard for the two women to adjust and cope with. 
Adelaide's later success is a real testament to her courage and ability to adapt during times of hardship. Adelaide used her gifts to support herself and her mother and began to perform to earn money and keep them afloat. She worked in many all-black reviews and in 1921 she secured a job in the chorus of Shuffle Along. Only a few years after such tragedy, Adelaide had made it to Broadway in a successful Cecil and Blake musical. I recommend listening to the hit for that musical, I'm Just Wild About Harry. In 1925, Hall toured Europe with another Broadway review called Chocolate Kiddies. Being part of this production allowed Hall to visit places most people would only dream to visit and experience, and all the complexities that goes along with that being a black woman in the 1920s. The show was created to showcase the rise of the Harlem Renaissance and its growing international popularity. The Harlem Renaissance requires a moment to acknowledge its importance culturally and politically. During the Great Migration, black families left the south of America due to extreme violence and persecution from white supremacist groups. In areas such as Harlem, theatre depicting black people as slow-witted and usually portrayed by white people in blackface was rejected and African-American talent and intelligence was able to grow and be nurtured in these new black communities. As well as theatre, literature was a huge part of the Harlem Renaissance. Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes and County Cullen are worth reading, along with an obvious plethora of talent. But due to time constraints, I obviously can't name them all, but want to acknowledge them and give them their flowers. Household names such as Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong. Adelaide Hall was right up there with them. Lively jazz performances on stride piano, paired with slick finger waved hair and drop waist dresses. It just doesn't get any better than that. I think I'd like to make sure I can get across that the Harlem Renaissance was extremely progressive, creating its own canon that challenged European standards. Black identity was not monolithic. Through music and literature, the diversity of a race, wrongly characterised as servile and unintelligent, was shown to be inventive and politically literate and active. The Harlem Renaissance was so much more than theatre and literature, of course, laying the grounds for the civil rights movement and challenging heteronormative culture with huge queer influence that is celebrated now and able to take a more prominent position as we look back at these incredibly important people. So by the middle of the 1920s, Adelaide had already started to build her reputation and cement herself into the world of show business. But her career only became more lustrous with the help of Adelaide's new husband. At the age of 23, she married a sailor from Trinidad and Tobago called Bertram Hicks, and together they opened a club called The Big Apple. One reviewer of Adelaide's performances said that they were pretty girls with catchy music, a touch of art, which touches the borderline of nudity. Dancing on stage of a ukulele and revealing outfits, Adelaide was quite scandalous and alluring. Her mother is said to be quite displeased with her style. I wonder if this reputation made it to Morecambe and intrigued her future audiences. In 1926, Adelaide Hall returned to New York and performed in Tantown Topics and toured with the Theatre Owners Booking Association, also known as TOBA. This was a vaudeville circuit, similar to the Chitlin circuit of the 1960s. Toba had a bad reputation amongst black performers due to bad conditions and low pay. Ma Rainey referred to the association as tough on black asses. Prestigious theatres, book stars such as Moms Mabley, Hattie McDaniels, a future Gone with the Wind success, Josephine Baker and a young Sammy Davis Jr. So I've mentioned Duke Ellington a few times and I'm going to again. So in 1927, Adelaide and Duke performed Creole Love Call and the Blues Love to Sing. Such as her style in charisma that a well-known performer like Duke wanted to work with her. Another fascinating part of their recording is Adelaide almost invented a style synonymous with jazz now known as scatting. She trills and hums around the counter melody and enhances the number no end. The magic in the story is that it came about so organically after Duke heard her humming along to the song. 
The song entered the Billboard charts at number 29, making Adelaide a household name. In 1928, after the tragic death of Florence Mills in 1927, Lou Leslie, who produced the show Blackbirds, hired Adelaide Hall to replace the star. The musical review and Adelaide's vocals made hits of the song Digger Digger Do and I Can't Give You Anything But Love. The review was performed at Liberty Theatre, where 518 performances were staged, and at the time it was the longest-running black show on Broadway. And in 1929, the show moved to Paris for three months, with Adelaide sizzling performances wowing people across two continents and picking up fans at the Moulin Rouge. After Hall left the Blackbirds, Lou Leslie, who produced the show, was so infuriated that he attempted to blacklist Hall. He made it so she couldn't perform any songs from the show in an attempt to totally derail or stall her career whilst it was taking flight. He obviously didn't succeed, and Hall performed with her Blackbirds co-star Bill Bojangles in 1930 on Broadway in a show called Brown Buddies. I hope our listeners are noticing a theme with the title of these show, Chocolate Kiddies, Blackbirds, Brown Buddies. Racialised language like this is not something we're used to in the 21st century. Yet despite the African-American identity being explored as celebrated through the Harlem Renaissance, racialised language and the exoticism of black culture was of course still prevalent and not something that was easy to dismantle. To this day, we still see the fetishisation of black stereotypical culture being utilised by a lot of celebrities for a variety of reasons, but ultimately, in my opinion, it's to make money. Adelaide and her husband Bertram travelled across the US and regularly played in the segregated South. Birch would pretend to be a Southern American man and adopt an accent as a means of survival to avoid any racially motivated violence. From 1931 to 1935, Adelaide toured the world, captivating audiences along the way. One reviewer was so enthralled by her movements he forgot to make any notes about the show. Adelaide would of course encounter racism. It'd be remiss not to mention how hard those years performing in different states and countries would have been during the rise of fascism in Europe. One such scenario is when Adelaide and her husband Bertram purchased property in a very white and middle-class area. The house was broken into and the perpetrators tried to burn it to the ground. How horrifying this must have been for them. So utterly distressing to have worked so hard and the same people who would have loved her on stage didn't want her in their neighbourhood. Adelaide and Bertram received a lot of support as the incident made it to the press. But one thinks of those people who weren't famous, who weren't popular performers and the treatment they would have received. In 1938, with her fame now international, Adelaide and Bertram moved to London, where they opened the new Florida club. But soon, war would break out, starting another chapter in her life. At the outbreak of war, American citizens were supposed to go back to America, but Adelaide obviously stayed there because she passed away in 1993 in London. An example of her strength is illustrated with an event in August 1940. Playing the Lewisham Hippodrome, an air raid started. Patrons could hear bombs falling and were obviously terrified. Adelaide suggested that the audience sing along with her, attempted to calm them and refocus their fears to something communal and uplifting. Adelaide said, even though we could hear bombs exploding outside the theatre, we carried on. I had sung 54 songs until the all clear sounded at 3.45am in the morning. Sadly, in 1939, a buried landmine exploded in the basement of their club. The new Florida was no more. But true to form, Adelaide continued to work and between 1939 and 1945, she made over 70 recordings for Decca Records. She also broadcast for the BBC after her club was destroyed. The programme we're looking at today is from 1942, a year before Adelaide joined the Entertainment's National Service Association, also known as ENSA, where entertaining the troops and boosting morale was formalised. Adelaide even had a uniform made. She always looked very glamorous and sophisticated. In 1941, Fila Suande, Adelaide's pianist, joined the RAF. 
He was later the musical director of the Colonial Film Unit. He was a renowned pianist and composer, and he regularly accompanied Adelaide during her performances. And from further research, I found Adelaide performing at the Winter Gardens in Morecambe with Felix Wande in 1940. Morecambe was a well-known location for many Black American and British performers. Household names such as Pegleg Bates, Scott and Worley, Leighton Johnson and Ken Snakehips Johnson, to name but a few. Adelaide was a very popular performer and well respected for her war efforts, such as travelling to Berlin before the city was liberated. One of the first performers to do that, in fact. And in 1941, she was Britain's highest paid earner. An absolute coup for Morgan to have such an icon perform for them. In 1943, Adelaide had a show on the BBC called Wrapped in Velvet. And she was the first black artist to have a long-term contract with the BBC and first black woman to perform the Royal Variety Show. So by the end of the war, Adelaide was a superstar, regularly touring internationally, appearing on national TV and being well paid for her talent. But that didn't mean that Adelaide did not face racism, something which would have been even worse for black people and performers who were not rich and famous. For black performers in Morecambe, we can look to well-known black performer who lived in Morecambe called James Hearns. Performing in a minstrel group on the beach, it's fair to say that James would regularly be performing in the vicinity of blackface performers. Popular feature of the entertainment scene. It's unfathomable to think of this type of performance being popular, but it was. James was from America and was the son of former enslaved people. He was a survivor who made a good life in Morecambe, but his race made him susceptible to discriminatory legal practices. Local Lancaster University historian Henry Holborn recently told me about an incident where James had a run in with the law in 1915 with the Alien Act. His nationality was questioned after he travelled from Morecambe to Preston and he was forced to pay legal fees despite living in Morecambe for 22 years. A year after Adelaide performed in Morecambe, not far up the road, the Battle of Bamber Bridge took place. During World War II, 12,000 West Indian people served in the British forces. So naturally, we have incidents of racial tension amongst American servicemen. And this would obviously illustrate the racial segregation happening in the US, which performers would have had to contend with back home. It seems so incredible to me that you can fight fascism, but find the energy to be racist to servicemen fighting alongside you. The American military police in Bamber Bridge wanted to segregate local pubs and arrested servicemen for being out of uniform in the Old Hob Inn. A riot ensued with fatalities, a truly devastating episode. Locals did not want the pub segregated and were supportive of the servicemen. I would encourage people to visit Bamber Bridge to look at the incredible plaques dedicated to the African-American servicemen and the people of Bamber Bridge. This plaque was erected by the University of Central Lancashire Preston Black History Group and the Institute of Black Atlantic Research. For Adelaide Hall, the shows continued and her career lost little momentum. Kirsty told us some of the highlights from her later career and how even though Bertram sadly passed away in the 1960s, Adelaide continued to perform well into her 80s and 90s. She led a very full and inspiring life and her presence in Morecambe was appreciated by the local people who invited her back in 1946 to judge a bathing beauties contest. Another part of her and her husband's legacy was inspiring Eric Morecambe to use Morecambe as his stage name. She later went on to perform for the royal family had a black plaque hung in her honour at Abbey Road Studio, participated in Desert Island disc recordings and had her work sampled by rappers. In 1988, after the popularity of the Cotton Club film, Adelaide performed a sold-out show 
homecoming show, in fact, at Carnegie Hall. She received a special Jazz Society Award and a gold badge of merit from the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Arrangers. In 1991, she performed with her Blackbird co-star, Elizabeth Welsh, who incidentally had also performed in Morecambe at the Winter Gardens in 1940. In 1993, she died at Charing Cross Hospital with her funeral taking place in New York. She was also in the Guinness World Records for the most enduring artist in 2003. After the murder of George Floyd in May 2020, a lot of companies wanted to amplify voices that had perhaps been ignored through history. In June 2020, British Vogue named Adelaide Hall as one of their seven remarkable black women who shaped history. It's a phenomenal feat. There's so much more to say about Adelaide, and I hope that after listening to this podcast, people feel inspired to listen to her music and celebrate this remarkable woman. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Please do listen to some of our other episodes where we discuss everything from Delftware pots to Dickens plots.